day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us. This pandemic has changed so many aspects of our lives. We're working from home. We're making limited grocery trips. There's all kinds of financial uncertainty that surrounds us. And for some of us, it's also meant a lot more time with our kids. Now, in theory, that last part sounds great, right? More time with the people that you love the most in the world. But when you're on a Zoom meeting for work, and the dog is barking, and your kids need help with their online homework assignment, things can get just a little overwhelming. We get it. So how are you balancing all of that? What are the unexpected joys and the unexpected frustrations of being so many things to your family members during this time? Normally, you might just be a parent, but now you're also the rule enforcer, you're the chef, you're the snuggler, you're the homework helper, and so much more to the young people in your life. It is a lot. Here at WDET, we recognize this, and that's why we've created a space for you to vent, connect, and talk with other parents and exchange ideas about what's working in your home and what you might be able to learn from others. It's all happening happening on WDET's newest Facebook group, which is called Doing Our Best Parenting in the Age of COVID-19. Here to tell us more about that is WDET education reporter and parent, Sasha Ryan. Sasha, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Hey. Uh, So let's talk first, Sasha, about how you are doing these days and what does life look like for you? You are home like everyone should be right now, but you are also home with a child, Give us a window into what that world has been like the last couple of weeks. It has been um, <laughs> it's been pretty exciting. Um, my my child is six. She's a six year old girl, so that's a um, young enough to be just a lot of energy to be locked up with mm-hmm. <laughs> all day every day. <laughs> um, and it's been a kind of a, a test figuring out where she can be independent, um, and why she chooses not to be often. Um, so it's, it's been pretty exciting. It's been, you know, hard. And probably for me, the hardest part has been balancing work and figuring out when I can get work done. So it's made for some pretty long days. Mm, yeah. Um, but I have to admit, I, it hasn't been as as complicated or difficult for me as I know it's been for many parents. Um, you know, I, I see it, but there there are a lot of different situations out there, and people are going through some stuff. Yeah, well, and the things that people are going through, and like the frustrations they may be feeling, were inspiration for you in creating this Facebook group. Give us a, a sense of what the impetus was behind creating a space for people just to connect about what's going on in their lives. Yeah. Well, you know, it was, it's interesting for us, and there's people who talk to people every day, who reach out into the world and um, look for stories and ideas and experiences, and, and that's what feeds our work. Um, being 
moved to my home and disconnected from my normal tools, just looking out into the world and really wanting to connect to parents and teachers and students and find out what this experience was like for people. Um, it, it was for a moment, a lot harder to reach people than I expected. Um, and beginning to hear the stories of, of, uh, what people are experiencing of how, um, not only how they're adjusting to homeschooling at home, but this this whole landscape of you know being a parent during these times of economic uncertainty, um, having to deal with resources, having to deal with your own older parents as a parent, mm. having to deal with health resources. And um, also I think it's incredibly important to remember that there are lots of people in our community who, on top of all of these other things, are grieving. They're mourning. And without the kind of cultural supports that we rely on at times like this. And so just beginning to really hear these stories and, and hearing from people how isolated they felt in their experience made us really think about how we could connect not only our listeners who are parents, but parents in the community mm. who just wanted to talk about their experiences and know that they were not alone, a place where they didn't have to manage the relationships, but could just be parents experiencing this moment. Yeah. So the official launch of the Facebook group is today. Uh, give us an idea of how that's gone so far. What, what kinds of things are are you already seeing? The kinds of things that people are eager to talk about. Yeah, we really are. The um, I'm, I I really want to say I was happy that our first couple of posts were from parents who wanted to say that they are kicking butt homeschooling. <laughs> I think that was a great thing to you know lay out. I think it's hard sometimes for parents to feel like they have the Space to pat themselves on the back for the successes they're having right now. So I was really happy to hear from some parents who wanted to say, you know, we're, we're working it out. It's not what we expected, but, you know, we're doing it. So yay, yay, parents. Um, one of the other big discussions we've been having is about custody. People are really having big issues with not being able to see their children or making decisions about not seeing their children. But the the you know, what is kind of normally a high drama situation in our culture is really stretching parental relationships right now with people who can't get access to their kids. Mm -hmm. uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Sasha Ryan. She's a WDET reporter who specializes in education, families, and children. She's also parent to a little girl, a six-year-old, and like most of us who are parents, is struggling with the new reality of being a parent uh, during the coronavirus pandemic and all of the different responsibilities that are now in parents' laps that may not have been there before. Uh, Sasha has worked here at the station to create a new Facebook page that's an opportunity for parents who are dealing with these issues and trying to figure them out to connect and talk with each other and exchange ideas about how parenting can look during something like this. We really want to hear from you during this conversation. What's the experience of parenting going 
What's that looking like for you during the coronavirus pandemic? What have been the joys of having your kids at home all day instead of sending them off to school? What have been the challenges of having them home and having them do school from home while you're maybe trying to do a lot of the things that you need to do with work or managing the household? Uh, Tell us how you're doing, but also give us a sense of how your kids are doing through all of this. This is tremendous change for them. Are they able to understand why these changes are taking place? Are they adapting to all the changes that they've been asked to endure? Uh, Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put uh, comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. I also want to welcome another voice from WDET into this conversation. Jake Neer is the senior producer on this show, Detroit Today, and a reporter and host of WDET's original podcast, Mishmash. Uh, Jake, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. How are you? Hey. Uh, so you are also juggling work and home and all of these things with, uh, with, with new responsibility with kids. You have two very small children who are home with you and your wife all day now. Give us a sense of how that's going. Yeah, we have uh, two boys. Uh, we have a five-year-old and a nine-month-old. Um, and I don't know if you can hear the nine-month-old screaming and crying in the background right now. But <laughs> no, I can't. It sure is. <laughs> um, and... Uh, you know, I'll tell you about my situation right now as we speak. You know, I'm on the phone with you uh, helping to produce this show from home. Uh, my wife is currently in a virtual staff meeting right now in the kitchen. Uh, and as I said, baby's crying. So we're trying to figure that out. Um, so, you know, this is pretty typical of, of our days, I think, right now. And it's uh, something that is is difficult to navigate, I would say. But I would like to, you know... Um, Note that uh, sort of as, as Sasha said that, you know, uh, there are families that are dealing with much worse right now. Uh, I'm kind of talking from the most privileged uh, perspective. Uh, you know, we're two parents caring for children, both with full time jobs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not in immediate danger of losing those jobs. We're in a stable housing situation. We're not, uh, you know, we're not we're, we're both healthy um, and we're we're doing uh, OK overall. But even from that most privileged perspective, it's really, really hard. I mean, it, right now, parents, all parents uh, that that are uh, employed are asking to be three things. They're asking to be full-time parents, full-time employees, and full-time teachers. Mm. And and that is, uh, that's too much for, for anybody. I mean, no one can pull that off uh, the way that, in an ideal way. Uh, you know, literally, if you were doing all three of those things, for eight hours a day, you wouldn't have you wouldn't sleep at all, <laughs> so neither would your kids. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's not great. Um, and I think for us, I think the worst part is being around the kids all the time, but always feeling that you're not present the way that you should be for the kids, especially with a five-year-old. Uh, just you know, always asking for your attention, always sure. wanting you to be present with them at that time and just not being able to, I think that that for me is, is the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah. 
Jake, uh, we really do appreciate you being here with us on the show and everything that you do for the show, as well as the senior producer. And uh, it's great to hear about this juggling act that you are uh, enduring here and and sounds like you're handling pretty well. So Yeah, uh, well we're we're trying to make it work like the Facebook group said. <laughs> That's right. All right, Jake, thanks for uh thanks for calling in. I want to go to another caller here and again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, give us a call and tell us how this grand experiment in 24-hour a day parenting up close is going in your household. How are you managing the online learning that your kids have to do? Are you managing uh, their emotions and their reactions to this coronavirus pandemic and all the things that it's changing in their lives? How are you doing? How are you getting through all of this? Let's go to Melissa in Berkeley. Melissa, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, hanging in there. Trying to, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As we all are in our own way. In sure. Our own home. Yeah. Go ahead, Melissa. So um, I am a homeschooler. I already homeschool all my kids. We have seven. Wow. Um, and, yeah, we have a lot of kids. <laughs> um, and we've been homeschooling for quite a few years, about seven years. Um, but I think what's important to understand about us homeschoolers in this situation, too, is, like, we are also under quarantine, and we're not used to, like, quarantine schooling, mm-hmm. you know? So we're we're kind of adjusting in that way that we're not allowed to go to museums. We're not allowed to do our—we do a two-day-a-week academy. We can't, you know, do that. The kids are unable to get out to do any of their stuff that they so heavily rely on as homeschoolers. Um, so my, and also on top of it, my husband is working from home. So thankfully he's been able to, um, retain his position at his company. He's an art director. Mm. Um, so he's working upstairs from like three computer monitors in our bedroom. (laughs) He doesn't have a home office. So it's been an incredible adjustment for everyone. Um, we have a, our kids are 13 all the way down to just turned one on Easter. Um, so it's been just an amazing adjustment for all the kids, yeah. emotionally, socially. Um, thank God for Zoom. I don't know how any of us are making it through a day without a Zoom call, but it's been very helpful for our teen and tween who can kind of hop on and see what their friends are up to. Um But, yeah, from the perspective of people who already are kind of at home a lot, this is unreal to be, like, not able to go to the library or the park or, you know, try and tell little kids you can't go to the playground. It's it's a challenge. You know, (laughs) it's really interesting to hear you talk about how how it's even – different for you given that you you homeschool your your children this is another degree of uh, engagement with them this is another degree of isolation from other people even for people who don't send their kids off to school every day and i i think that's that's really important that to to kind of note that for everybody there are things that are really different right now right than they used to be but, you know, I think on a, on a positive note, I think it's 
been such a beautiful thing to watch so many families kind of come home and spend the time that maybe they weren't able to spend together together. You know, they're not able to do all the sports and running around in the evenings and things that even we homeschoolers do, getting kids to places. But now we're all home, we're sharing meals together, we're sharing, you know, walks together and activities in the afternoons when the parents are done working or out in the yard. And um, I do think it's really important. And I've been trying to get my kids to focus on the things that you can find that are good Mm -hmm. and do the good that you can um, while we're still, you know, able to, and while we're in this quarantine, it doesn't mean we can't still have fun and enjoy ourselves and enjoy this family unit that we were all brought together to be. Um, now we're just able to do it in a little bit different of a way. Yeah. Yeah. Melissa, I really appreciate the call and hang in there. I mean, I, I can't imagine seven kids home all day and managing all of the things that would, uh, that would come up with that. But it sounds like you're doing, you're doing pretty well, and, and we're glad for that. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Give us a call. Tell us how you're doing with parenting right now uh, during the coronavirus pandemic and having the kids in the house with you all day, every day. Uh, Sasha Ryan, you were about to say something there when uh, when we were talking to Melissa. Yeah, I think Melissa's point um, is really important, too, because it, it, it points to how rigid the educational environment is for us right now, mm-hmm. the educational options open to us, whether you're doing it online or on paper. You you know, if you can't go to a museum, for example, or a park or a zoo, I mean, those are very limited options, even if you are focusing, even if you can focus on educating your child. And that also points to things like learning style Mm -hmm. and uh, raises issues with special education and children who have very, very different needs and the parents who are at home with them kind of not able to either fill those needs or even just feel like they can fill those needs. Mm. It is a very limiting environment right now in terms of getting all of those things done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sasha, I wonder if you can talk a little about what your hope is as far as what will come out of this group or the role it serves in people's lives and whether there's a possibility that this is something that could continue even after we go back to life as normal or whatever normal is going to be when this is all over. Is this something that uh, we will continue here at WDET? That's a great question. I'd like to think so. I think, um, you know, once you've started having the conversation with the community, I think um, it, I'd like to think that it would be a valuable con- uh, conversation to continue. And as you said, kind of not knowing how this will change over time, what the new normal will be, I think those will also be things that parents will need to support each other through. This, Whatever the new normal looks like, I think parenting will change. Um, education will change. We'll find out more about what our, our children need as they transition back into schools, um, I, this will be a time that affects our children's generations. It's one of those generational events that will shape them. And I think that means it will shape our parenting and our culture as parents going mm-hmm. forward. Yeah. Okay, Sasha Ryan, education reporter here at WDET, and the inspiration behind the new WDET Facebook group that's bringing parents together to talk about parenting during the COVID-19 
pandemic. That Facebook group is called Doing Our Best, Parenting in the Age of COVID-19. And of course, if you're on Facebook, you can find it and join the conversation. Sasha, thanks for being here with us. Thanks so much, Stephen. Up next, we're going to continue the conversation about parenting and family with someone who spends a lot of time thinking about the subject and who says family meetings are the things that could save our households and sanity during the COVID-19 pandemic. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. One oh one nine WDET, Detroit's NPR station, celebrating seventy years of radio in Detroit. This is Detroit Today on one oh one nine WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining. We're continuing the conversation around parenting amid the coronavirus pandemic. And according to our next guest, while some conflict is normal in families who are together all day, every day, when things really run off the rails, quote, it's time for a family meeting. Rosalind Wiseman is a parenting expert, best-selling author of the book, Queen Bees and Wannabes, and co-founder of the community and adolescent-focused organization, Cultures of Dignity. She recently wrote a piece for the New York Times about the benefits and structure of a successful family meeting at this time when so many of us are seeing more of each other than perhaps ever before. And when we are sometimes unsure how to navigate the new and potentially frustrating family dynamics that may be emerging. Rosalind, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So this idea of the family meeting, I think... Uh, there's, there's, uh, I think, uh, a proclivity to to kind of chuckle a little bit about the idea. Oh of, my okay, God. <laughs> we need <laughs> we need a family meeting to, to talk about these things. But, but you're you're raising this in a really serious context, and you're saying that this is something that can actually help people navigate times like these when we are spending way more time with our family than we normally do. Uh, give us a, a sense of how we should know when it's time to have <laughs> a family meeting. Well, I'm so glad you said that in the beginning because, um, you know, about how people chuckle. Because when I was a teenager, probably the thing I wanted to hear least was my mother saying to me, I think we need a family meeting. Family meeting, meeting was, right. I, <laughs> right, family meeting. And I'd be like, oh, my God, I don't want to hear this. Like, you know, this is going to be a waste of time. And, you know, roll my eyes, which I was very good at. So my mother actually has found great vindication in this article that, <laughs> that came out last week. But, um, but also the other thing I think is important to um, distinguish is this is not a business meeting. This is not um, like we're having a board meeting or something like that. That's not what this is. It's especially right now. This is about being able to set standards for how we talk to each other when we are frustrated and when we are getting to a place where um, we're stuck, where people are stuck and patterns are happening and people are frustrated and there's 
and we just feel like there's nothing we can do but just like be miserable or just feel like we have to put up with what's happening Mm -hmm. between the people. And I also think it's important to distinguish between a family meeting. This is a family meeting where basically your family is functional. I mean, there are, um, you know, people can have conflicts and conflict is inevitable in families. Um, but if there are people who are regularly demeaning and abusing power and dominating people, then these kinds of family meetings are going to be like, it's, it's not a great idea to be, to, to be doing it because the kinds of power dynamics will reinforce mm-hmm. in those moments. So this is really about like in general, when we are in this situation and we have a basically functioning family, um, that these can be really help. These can be very helpful. So let's talk about what you mean by family meeting. You, you said there that this is not a business meeting. So right. what should it look like and how should it feel for the people who are participating? Well, great question. So ideally you want to get to a place where um, you want to call the meeting before you have totally freaked out or had a meltdown. Before but you've I, lost I know, control, been, right? <laughs> right, exactly. I have to say that talking to at least my friends in the last week, I think most of us have had a pretty, at some point, have had a pretty big meltdown in the last week. <laughs> but um, but I, I think ideally you want to get to the place where you're not, you're not going to be having and calling a family meeting when you're screaming and shouting. That's not what's going to be happening. What we need to do is you get to a place where you feel like you're not being listened to, where a pattern is happening, where you feel like somebody in your family, for example, might not be treated with dignity, would not be listened to. And dignity means inherent worth. Like, it's just essential. You can't have it taken away. And um, what you do is you prepare them. You say, hey, I want to be, I want to have a meeting with people. And I want it to be, my idea is to have it around, you know, 7 o'clock tomorrow around the kitchen table leave your phones um, in another room. And if that's not a good time, then let me know and we'll figure out a good time. And the reason why I say that is because it is respectful, no matter how old a person is in your home, to ask, meaning they can be, you know, your children, to ask them what their situation, what their schedule is, especially because our kids are online taking classes, they're online doing all different kinds of things or trying to juggle, no matter what, depending on how many devices you have, Mm -hmm. they might have to do schoolwork. So we really do need to ask them when is a good time to have it, Um, have it in a neutral place, kitchen table, um, and really, again, like leave the phones in a different room and that includes you. Yeah, yeah. So you created a strategy for a successful family meeting with input from high schoolers. I have two high schoolers in my household, and I know how difficult it is to get them just to talk, let alone to mm. be part of a family meeting. So I'm curious <laughs> yeah. about uh, what what you heard from high schoolers about their suggestions for how to run family meetings that they might actually participate in. Yeah, that's a yeah. Again, great question, and you know, having two teenagers um, and myself. Um, this was something that I was really aware of. Now, everything we do, like when I write books like Queen Bees or the boys' book, Masterminds, or work, you know, my organization, we never do anything um, without asking young people first what they think. And it's not about, like, having a focus group. It's that they really, truly, like, I write something, for example, that article about this family meeting, and then I give it to, we have um, teen editors who um, are all over actually the world um, and all over the country, obviously, who 
I will send stuff to and they will comment and edit and tell me, you know, what is the advice that I'm giving to adults that they think works, you know, that would work if an adult said X to a child or what wouldn't. And so I had our editors, our teen editors, look at exactly this article, just like we do everything. And um, they gave us gave me advice about what, how to frame it and how to approach it. So, for example, one of the things that I think is really important before you do anything with young people is you figure out, especially when you're frustrated as a parent, is that you figure out what are the three things that you want to communicate in this in this meeting, in this conversation, whatever it is, that you are just not going to, you're not going to get distracted. You're not going to get pulled off course. What are the three things that you really want to communicate to your child and why? Mm. And then the other, my other thing is, is that you keep it pretty short. Um, even for family meetings, you keep them short. And unless your child wants to talk to you and you need to be self-reflective about like, what do I, how do I need to show up? Um, for my kids, that I have the best chance of them listening to me. Hmm. And I define listening as being um, being prepared to be changed by what you hear. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with them. It just means that you have to be prepared to he- to, li- to listen. Is really being prepared to be changed by what you hear. Um, and the um, high school people said to me, and I wasn't surprised by this at all, that the adult who was calling the meeting um, needed to say pretty much right up front, like, I'm going to do my best not to lecture you, not to repeat myself, and not to judge you. (laughs) Yeah, no, those are the three tools that we all sort of as parents lean on all the time, aren't they? (laughs) Lecturing, repeating ourselves. Over and over again. So here's the thing about repeating yourself, which is really, really funny, which is we have opportunities. Like I've said to my teenage boys, I don't know, 5,000 times to to unload the dishwasher. So is my husband. So over the course of their lives, we have repeated this over and over and over again. Um, and the repeating of the, for example, if, a, if a, this isn't in a family meeting, but this is when you're having like an argument with your kid and you're repeating yourself and you're like following them around the house. Like, do you understand? Do you understand? They stop listening. Mm-hmm. And so you really are only aggravating the situation. So you can go back later. You have countless times to have this conversation with your children later. Mm. My guest is Rosalind Wiseman. She's a parenting expert, best-selling author, and co-founder of Cultures of Dignity, an organization that shifts the way communities think about physical and emotional well-being by working in close partnership with young people, educators, policymakers, and business and political leaders, we're talking about how to get along, really, with our families during the coronavirus pandemic, how to manage conflict, which I think is probably inevitable given the close quarters that we're all in, given the 24-7 nature of those interactions that we have with our close family. Uh, Rosalind suggests that there are, this is a great time to revive the idea of a family meeting to deal with conflicts, to getting everybody together to sit down and talk about what may be frustrating someone, what maybe may isn't working for someone in the family dynamic, and talk about ways to change that. We want to hear from you about what you're experiencing right now. How are you and your family during, doing during this uh, stay-at-home order? And tell us about the conflicts that you're seeing arise, either between you and your children, maybe among your children that you didn't necessarily see before. Have tempers been running a little high in your home during the coronavirus pandemic? Uh, And have new conflicts popped up that weren't a problem before? Are there arguments around the pandemic and new household protocols? This idea of online learning that has to be managed. Some kids are 
not necessarily enthusiastic about doing things that way. Uh, and tell us how you're balancing all of this, especially if you're also working remotely from home. How are you balancing the responsibilities of your job versus the parenting that you have to do, the extra parenting that you have to do? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. And as always, right now on Detroit Today, we are also just taking calls to hear how you are doing generally during the pandemic. Uh, there's so much about our lives that's just kind of turned on its head, and we are cut off physically from each other. Uh, Detroit Today is our chance, really, to connect with each other and share stories and experiences and talk through uh, how we are going to get through to the other side of this pandemic, something that we all really need to keep in mind, which is that this is not a permanent situation. We will live through this, and life will return to some semblance of normalcy. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page or Twitter and put comments there, and we'll try to work those in. Uh, <clears throat> before we get to listeners, Rosalind, in your, in your New York Times piece, you have some principles, key things to keep in mind. Walk us mm. through the main ones you think could really help families who are listening right now. Sure. Well, so I said the listening is being prepared to be changed by what you hear, but what that specifically means is it doesn't mean waiting for someone to stop talking so you can tell them why they're wrong and we're right, why you're right. Um, I think that you know, it's also important, and this is something, by the way, excuse me, that the person who's setting the meeting needs to begin by saying, we have some principles here that we need to remember. And principles guide behavior. They're not rules. They guide behavior about how this is going to go. So it's, it's that listening thing. It's everyone has the right to have different opinions and feelings about a situation. So no one has the right to say to somebody else, you're wrong about the way that you saw that. You're wrong about the way that you feel. So pe people have a, can have a difference of opinion about how something went down, but you don't have the right to say you're wrong about the way you feel about something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think another principle is that no matter what happens, we're going to have to live together. So it is in everybody's interest to get to a better place. And what that means is that during the meeting that, you know, eye rolls and sighing or just the things that families, family members do. I and mean, we knew, know each other so well and we know how to irritate each other so well. <laughs> so we really do need to check our body language and how we're showing up because, people are, are, you know, our, our family can read us really, really well. Like mm -hmm. I raise my eyebrow and my kids know that I'm super angry at them. So it's, it's really important to check yourself about, like, how am I showing up and that it is in everyone's interest to get to a better place. And that probably each of us is going to have to do something different um, or think about something different to make the problem better. And, and then what I think is also really important, and I do this in my teaching um, with young people who have done it for years, is that you give everybody one minute to, you give them a set of questions, not too many, like three questions. And it's, and that, those questions are like, what is frustrating you specifically? What do you want to happen instead? Is there anything you're doing that's contributing to the problem? And then are you willing to change anything about that? And is this, this meeting will be worth it if, and then you finish the sentence. And um, people need to sort of answer those questions. And then what I want is for people to come back and have a minute or two without interruption from anybody else in the family to say their answers. Mm. 
and then the next person goes and says their what they what their answers are. And then when everybody goes, you can ask clarifying questions to each other, and that's really really important about the difference between and again, this is what the facilitator like you, the parent would do is you say, look, there is a difference between a curious question and a question that puts somebody down. Yeah. And so a curious question really has a tone of like curiosity. Like I want to know what's going on. I don't understand X or can you tell me more about and a question again that sometimes family members are really good at doing is coming across like why do you ever think that that is like why are you asking that question that's a ridiculous question <laughs> so we can't have those kinds of questions in a family meeting because otherwise it just makes the other person feel disrespected and feels like there's no point in being there yeah yeah uh, I, I call those accusatory questions in some cases right? yeah it's not really yeah. a question it's an accusation dressed up as a question uh-huh. <laughs> and then families i think we get really good at uh, at doing that. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Kelly in Rochester Hills. Kelly, what's on your mind? Well, hello. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I was just listening to the lady speak, and I value her opinion, but I disagree 100% with her all the way across the board because we are the parent. They are the children. Mm. This isn't a meeting. This isn't a d- debate. They are told to do things, and our assertiveness has been taken away by the state and government. Hmm. Uh, my house has never been so clean. <laughs> my child has never been so obedient for the simple reason I explained to her flat out. This is how life really is. This is not the first pandemic that's hit America. And if we keep babying our children, they're going to grow up and be babies and not adults. Yeah, well, uh, Kelly, I, I I really do appreciate the call and the perspective. Can't say I agree with your approach to these questions about parenting, but it sounds to me like in your household that's working, and I guess that's important as as well. I, I want to give Rosalind well, um, a chance I'd love to, to respond answer. actually because yeah. I think he raises such good questions about and comments about. So thank you, Kelly, for for calling and and asking that question so respectfully. Um, so actually, the thing that was, it's really important, one of the things that I think we need to really figure out is what are the social skills and the competencies that we need our children to have to be able to function in the world and be the independent, um, competent people, for example, that clearly you want your daughter to be. And one of the things that's happening, and I agree with it, and I agree to a certain extent, but if we don't give our kids, if we don't give young people the skills to be able to articulate what's happening to them, to if they're, if, if for example, if there's a sibling problem, right, if there's, a, if there's a problem between siblings and they're fighting, and the siblings and one of those, or both, both of the, one of the kids is dominating the other, we can't have, it's really problematic to have a kid who is sitting on his feelings and sitting on his anger, resentment, and not know how to process that and not know how to ask for help. Mm-hmm. We have, before this pandemic, we had unprecedented levels of anxiety and of suicide in the country. And one of the things, one of the reasons why is because young people don't think that they can go to adults for help. And or that they understand what's happening because the adult will say, well, I was young once, too. And so I know what it was like for you. And actually, we don't know what it's like for young people today, pandemic or not. We don't know what it's like for them because we didn't grow up in the gen. We did not grow up in this world like they are. So in order to be able to get them to a place of competency and handling things well and be able to be responsible people who can contribute to our communities well, I think we've got to give them the skills to be able to do it. 
And so, and also the last thing I would just say is, and I would ask Kelly this thing, you know, is it's Kelly this too, is that when you think about the people you respected when you were growing up, I would imagine that that person is somebody that you respected because of the way they treated other people, not because of the way they dominated other people. And that's the thing with kids Mm -hmm. is that what they are seeing today constantly is adults who abuse power or say, don't look at what I'm doing. I can disrespect people, um, but I'm going to demand that you respect me Mm -hmm. no matter how I act. And that's one of the reasons why young people are disengaging from us. And so it's a really, so we all, I think we want the same thing, which is you want competent young people who can handle themselves. And it's, we've got to be able to listen to them about the world they're living in so that we can be able to give them the skills and the tools that they need. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about parenting and family during the coronavirus pandemic. We'll also continue to hear from you, the listeners, about what's going on in your household right now, how you're managing all of this up-close contact with your children and other members of your family, and how you're managing the inevitable conflicts that come out of that contact. As always, the number is 313-577-1019 on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDT. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining. My guest is Rosalind Wiseman. She's a parenting expert and best-selling author and co-founder of Cultures of Dignity, an organization that shifts the way communities think about physical and emotional well-being. We're talking about parenting during the pandemic uh, right now when we are way more up close with our kids and our families than we normally are. How do we manage the inevitable conflicts that come up? I want to inject another perspective into this conversation. <clears throat> Before we get back to listeners, Ronnie Evan Hormel is a therapist who works at the Birmingham Maple Clinic in Troy and often works with families who focus on family conflict. Ronnie, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. It's yeah. so great to be on. Yeah. So give us an idea of what you're seeing while all of this change is interjecting new dynamics, I think, into yeah. family relationships. So there's a lot of loss um, around a couple things. Privacy, right, space, independence, especially if I'm seeing a lot of adolescents, even, even young kids. I really shouldn't say adolescents. You know, autonomy, going to school, having your own dynamics in life with friends. Um, And I'm seeing when I'm working with especially families as a group, uh, there's a lot of loss as far as dreams. You know, people have canceled spring break, sports, graduation. And we don't, unfortunately, right now have a date of when that could happen or when that could resume. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of anxiety surrounding the future unknown. You know, if we could say, you know, by the 4th of July, things would be back to normal, we can kind of work with that. But the fact that we don't know um, is causing a lot of anxiety. And the problem is, unfortunately for this, like the parenting coach who is, you know, I just think is so fantastic um, that was on the show, Mm -hmm. um, parents are going through it for the first time too. So they're not really able to model um, the tolerance because they've experienced it before and tell their kids and teens and young adults, I've been there, 
we've been here, you know, this is how it looks. I know it's scary. They're just as scared oftentimes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how are you encouraging people to manage those feelings and those conflicts? So a couple ways. Um, I'm encouraging people to be very open with what they need with others. And I, I tell them, you know, often, let that be flexible. So maybe in the beginning of each day, I say almost treat it like you're in recovery. So somebody in recovery is going to kind of say, how am I doing today? Like, how, what needs do I have today? What support do I need today? Do I need a lot? Maybe I don't need so much. So really be flexible um, with your needs. Really take it one day at a time. And also speaking of flexibility, maybe decide each morning what um, areas you're going to kind of be flexible in other people's approach. Like what things are you like, okay, that kind of bothers me, but it's okay. I can be a little bit flexible there. Also, something in clinical psychology we call reframing. Mm. So instead of feeling like we're out of control, which oftentimes, you know, I I encourage people. I'm like, of course, that's going to come in. Like, there is an element of that we're out of control. However, okay, we can look at ways that we are in control. You know, during World War II, tons of things were rationed. Mm. Tons of foods were rationed. Factories were converted, but they reframed it to think, how awesome, I'm a part of this. So when we're giving up things, we can think, hey, listen, you know, this is unfortunate. It makes me very sad. But also now I am a part of this. You know, democracy is not people being in charge. It's it's all of us. So if we kind of reframe that, say, hey, I actually I actually have a job to do in this, which oftentimes just as civilians, we kind of feel like, but do we really matter? Now is the time that, you know, you really do. Uh, Ronnie Hormel, thanks very much for calling in and sharing those perspectives with our listeners. It's great Thank to hear you from so you. much. Everyone stay safe and healthy. Have a great day. Yeah. I want to go back to listeners here who are calling to talk about how they're managing these up-close relationships during the pandemic. Let's go to Jessica in Wyandotte. Jessica, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Um, I guess I'm calling to kind of echo the advice of your first guest and uh, also sing the praises of the family meeting um, between my wife and I, and we have an 11 and 12 year old, um, mm-hmm. and we are all at home together, and we have been for several <laughs> weeks. Um, and additionally, our youngest son has uh, challenges of oppositional defiance disorder and reactive attachment disorder. And for those who are not aware, Those are two uh, mental disorders, behavioral disorders that are resistant to treatment and medication. So it has been an extreme challenge. um, And really the only thing that gets our family communicating and gets us back on track when we have meltdowns um, is sitting down and having a family meeting. Um, Your first guest mentioned the concept of dignity and everybody having inherent worth. And there are many times where the four of us have just had to stop and think, you know, just how important that concept is Mm -hmm. and it 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 just when i hear callers like your first caller kelly who said well i'm the parent and i'm gonna have authority you know if i say to people all the time you know with the kid with odd and with any family you know if if punishment worked if if authority worked if tyranny worked i'd have the most polite children on the planet and they'd be black (laughs) and blue but but it doesn't it doesn't work the family meeting is what works that's the concept that's going to get us through thank you jessica i really appreciate the call uh, and you're sharing your experiences. Let's go quickly to Jennifer in Livonia. Jennifer, welcome to the Hello. show. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So I just wanted to give a perspective of the opposite. And I don't have teenagers. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a six-month-old, and my husband and I are both still working at home with them. So we don't have uh, the option for a family meeting because mm. – 
we have a baby with no language skills and a toddler with developing skills sure. and emotions. So we're just trying to do our best over here. And I mean, some days it's really hard and her schedule is different now too. She's used to going to daycare and seeing her friends and she has her own routine. And now trying to be respectful, even though she's a toddler and doesn't understand that she's stuck here too. You know, yeah. it's hard. It's just as hard for her to be taken out and, Oh, you can't play right now. I'm working. I, you know, you have to wait. You need to be patient. It's just been kind of difficult. And she's, I mean, well behaved, but it's just hard after a month and who knows how much longer. Right, right. Jennifer, I, I appreciate the call and wish you luck with that, uh, with that situation. And I think there are a lot of other listeners, of course, in that, in that same kind of situation. Rosalind, we've got about uh, two minutes left on the show, but, but address these kinds of questions of how you deal with kids who maybe aren't quite ready for the idea of a family meeting, uh, but they still sure. have these anxieties and frustrations about the current situation and, and are creating family dynamics that do need to be addressed. Well, um, here's one for the a little bit older um, and maybe even for a two-year-old, but um, what we find really helpful is to give them the ability to draw the emotions that they're having um, and you can do it with them. So the, and, and if, if you're a bad drawer, even better because you're showing that you're not perfect at everything that mommy or daddy or whoever is not perfect at everything. Drawing your feelings um, is a really, really important thing to do and, um, and can be more applicable for younger, for younger kids. And if you, we actually have just put out resources and parents are being overwhelmed with resources. So by the way, if you listen to that and say, I want one more resource, I totally get it. Mm. I'm getting them too. Um, we've created these things called tiny guides that um, are just little tiny snippets of information for parents that would be helpful. Um, in the kinds of questions that people are asking. And, um, but really, I think what the other part is this to answer your question for younger parents or parents of younger children is giving yourself, I mean, I know it's really hard, but give yourself even three minutes to just be a part and just to take breaths because, man, it's hard enough to, you know, hanging out and parenting younger children. They're adorable, but they're, it's hard and exhausting. So you've got to give yourself a little bit of time to just take some breaths. Mm. Okay, Je uh, Ro Rosalind Wiseman, parenting expert and best-selling author and co-founder of Cultures of Dignity. It was really great to have you here with us for this conversation. Thanks for coming by. My pleasure. Thank you all. Yeah. That's going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. We're going to talk about the dramatic changes that were announced to the city of Detroit's budget to try to account for all of the new costs that uh, the pandemic is forcing on city government. Uh, the, uh, we will have a conversation about what that will mean for employees and what that will mean for those of us who live here in the city of Detroit. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.